Yo, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Super Bright Bass Strings. Dunlop Super Bright Bass Strings put your sound front and center with a bright yet musical top end, balanced fundamental, and a warm low end. Designed from the ground up to fit the vision of what a string should be, Super Bright Bass Strings provide a superior response that allows the natural voice of your bass to come through. Made in California at Dunlop headquarters, go to jimdunlop.com and check out Super Bright Bass Strings. All right. What's up, my friends? What up? Welcome to Dun- <laughs> Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is the place for all us bass freaks to chat it up and gain a little insight and inspiration and have some fun. I'm your host, Josh Paul. And today, we welcome my bro, Mr. Nick Shins. What's happening? How you doing? How you doing, huh? Dude, how are you, bro? I'm good, man. I'm good. Life is good, yeah. despite uh, you know struggles. But there's always a lot of people that have it a lot worse. So you know, grateful that, for grateful for where I'm at, and got a roof over my head, and food still coming in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that stuff's all cool. Getting to play some bass and record a lot, and so I'm good, man. How about yourself? How's Nashville? Na- <laughs> Nashville is awesome. <laughs> right now, it's uh, a whopping 35 degrees. The sun is shining a bit, but it's cold. And and my bones don't work well with that. I know you know a little bit about that being in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, it's snowing again so, today. Oh, fifty-seven yesterday. Isn't melted. it summertime already? I know. We well, we were in the eighties, you know, seventies or whatever, high seventies, and then um, got a nice snowstorm. It's like usually this stuff happens in like March. You know, we'll get real nice, then a snowstorm, real nice, then a snowstorm, and it melts it by the the next day. But it's been carrying all the way through, so it's like snowing and then melting the next day, and then snowing the next day. And I'm moving all my stuff right now, so it's like <laughs> it's just the the comical universe that it's always like the days that I'm moving stuff that it's just <laughs> snowing. I'm like carrying music gear and hi-fi equipment and stuff and it's like eh, what are you gonna do what are you gonna do did, did you say high fi equipment yeah 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 just some like hi-fi. high fidelity yeah hi-fi. stereo stereos all yeah. that jazz yeah, okay yeah. cool i got i picked up some uh <laughs> i'm like building building a setup up it's just kind of weird though because you know you talk to hi-fi people and they it, you know you listen to like a hundred thousand dollar system or something you're like yeah okay cool i can definitely hear the difference but i don't know sometimes i put the sonos on and it's like damn, that sounds good. <laughs> it's this big. <laughs> and I'll have like this wall every, of stuff. You know? Dude, every time I hear hi-fi, I think of Boogie Nights, you know, where he's selling the uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the stereo equipment and he starts a little store. Anyway, Diggler. that's a whole another show. That's another show. That's another show. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Nick, um, I'm so happy to have you here, man. You're, you're my bro. And yeah, uh, I really wanted to get a chance to do this. Um, you play in bands. Uh, now, is it a uh, job? Job for, for cowboy. Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. your main your main gig right now? Main gig. Yep. And then uh, I'm a, uh, an executive assistant slash understudy for Vlad from Nuclear Power Trio. Okay. Um, and then uh, explain how that works. Uh, you know, just kind of help the guy out with stuff, change the strings, kind of sometimes looks for direction on on where to go, writing the bass lines and stuff. And every once in a while, I'll pop on and and track some of the stuff for him. But they're real. So hush, really, hush you're it. you're the ghost uh, player slash writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're supposed to say that in public. Actually, I'm not but, really. But I'm it's probably it's probably gonna get black bagged here in a second and 
that's the end of the podcast. Uh, mm. But uh, yeah, so that's been really cool. Um, a lot of video work for that. You know, like it's just, it's kind of end. I saw one of those videos, dude, that you sent me, um, I think before you released it. Yeah. I, I was, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And that was damn awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. It's a trip because it's like. Tell everybody where they can, they can see it and, and what to expect. Yeah. So you can check out like, uh, I think all the socials are set up at just Nuclear Power Trio. And uh, it's just three infamous world, world leaders. You know, and uh, they, they, uh, it's a, like an alternate reality where these guys basically just uh, form a band to unite for world peace, kind of like uh, Bill and Ted style, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's on Metal Blade Records, um, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Um, you, videos are up on YouTube. Everything should be just Nuclear Power Trio. Um, so that's been fun. And then I'm doing uh, another Spall of Carnage record. That's about 10 years in the making because we think we're Tool or something. Are you singing <laughs> on that? Uh, I'll be doing like half half the vocals. So I do like, you know, bass and then like about 40% of the vocals. And then um, and then we're doing, uh, what else has got going on? I'm actually singing for a band called Vamana, which is the old guitar player, Zach Joe from Cephala Carnage. Um, and this amazing bass player called Igor. Um, Igor. I cannot pronounce his last name. It's this crazy long Polish last name, which is kind of hilarious um and uh it ended up being uh we played a two bass like little jam i had this whole band called ain matter and it was you know two basses drums and vocals because yeah. we were like yeah. Yeah, yeah guitars are overrated and so uh figured <laughs> out a way guitars bro i don't know <laughs> well you figure out we have this a b rig you know where i'd run through an a b pedal a side goes into the um uh, bass side and the B side, but I was running through a Mesa dual rack and 412. And then you start playing with effects on each individual one. So you can have the one side on or the other. And we were like, and then I started messing with some strings. Um, and I uh, was doing like ADGCF on a five string. So 80, 80 gauge on the low string and then plain steel, 18 gauge plain steel unwound for the F. Um, and you play it, man. It just sounds like a giant, huge guitar. This was like before eight strings even too. So I was like, man, should have, should have done that earlier. But, uh, anyway, so I met this, um, this bass player, he was playing for this band called Valio Mierda and uh, he was a drummer actually at that, in that band, but then he was downstairs slapping and you know how you can, you can just tell when you hear somebody like, Oh, that dude can play. Yeah. And yep. so we started rapping and, uh, and anyways, I pulled him into this, this band with, um, Cephala Carnage, uh, Zach's new band, Vimana. And, uh, I was originally just filling in for bass. And then I was just so busy with all my other bands, um, that I was like, you should get this dude, you know, to be permanent. Cause he's better than I am. And he's, you know, incredible. <laughs> so then finally, like the singer ended up leaving and then Zach hit me up and he's like, yo, do you want to, do you want to play with Vimana? And I was like, man, I don't want to step on Igor's uh, Igor's toes, man. That's his his gig now. He's like, no, I want you to just just sing. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, so I got that going on, and then um, might be doing. I think I'm doing a, uh, an EP with this um, called Avidus with uh, Danny Walker, who also did the drums for the um, job for Cowboy Sun Eater. And so awesome, that's, dude. Yeah, so that should be cool. And then just in between that, just like got tons of video work to do. Um, How did you get into that? How did you yeah, get into video? Yeah, work? I was just gonna talk about that. Um, so just kind of like. You know, doing my bass videos on YouTube. So somebody would, I would, you know, ten years ago, look at somebody doing a um, a playthrough of one of my songs. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, that guy did pretty dang good. You know, and then I was just like, yeah. Be By the way, if you sorry to interrupt, if no, you're yeah. not uh, familiar with Nick or his playing, you know, he, he's very kind, dude. His voice is 
is soothing. You know, you can fall asleep <laughs> to it, maybe dream about, you know, unicorns and things, but his plane is absolutely brutal. And uh, you need to check him out. It, it's out of this world technique. It's great. So wow. go ahead. That's a lot coming from Josh Paul, man. So I'll take oh. it. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate you. Um, but so, uh, so dudes would do some covers and it was really cool, but they're missing parts. And I was just like, oh man, that guy's got like 30,000 views, you know? I was like, that was 10 years ago. So I thought it was a lot back then, but, um, and so I was like, ah, I should probably, you know, do that. And so I started, I made like a, just a regular playthrough, just set the camera up, playthrough, totally serious. And then I was watching it back and I was just like, man, this is cool if you're a bass player, you know? And I was just like, I don't see why anybody else would watch it for longer than 10 seconds or something. So I started being like, <laughs> I got to start integrating some comedy in it, you know, cause I, I always just have to make light of life cause it's, you know, it's tough, you know? And, and I think, uh, the more jokes that we have, you know, the better it kind of, makes things go. I was always kind of the dude to try to make light of a situation, you know, sometimes inappropriately. <laughs> like, it's not the time to be joking, man. <laughs> I have to do it. But, um, so yeah, so I started just kind of, um, expanding out on that and then, um, kept getting flagged cause you can't play your own music and, and monetize it, you know? Um, cause well, I mean, in a way it goes back to you because the, the, the ads for the, uh, um, and the, so, the so actually this is a good point. Yeah. Um, for especially now, during the pandemic, you know, that's one of the ways that us musicians and, and bass players and whoever else really can make some extra cash and, and get into some other um, uh, workflows, I guess you can say. So, so can you explain that to people, how, how they might be able to get into that? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So essentially, um, you know, anytime you see an ad on YouTube that there's money being paid for that, and it's essentially going to the uh, a percentage of those advertisement um royalties are going to the content creator whoever makes the the, the video right so but if you're playing copyright um copywritten music um then it you know the, the digital um uh, the algorithm or whatever it is that you know sees the digital watermark of a song it's pretty amazing how good it is because uh even if you pull the vocals off you know like if it's my own stuff and i can just pull the vocals off because i've got the masters um it's still catches it um so if the algorithm catches it that it's copywritten music then it just you can still put the videos up and still um collect the views obviously but any of the royalties are going to go to the owner um so it's like you know sony red or um whatever so um if you you know you have to create your own content then it's got to be original stuff or you got to have the the, the copyright for it in order to, to, to monetize. Um, and I think that's starting to play into Twitch too. So I'm not sure how, you know, for, for people that haven't done that yet, um, you know, that's a big uh, potential um, musical avenue that you can go. I mean, I know some musicians, um, some of the dudes in my, in my bands um, that are like, I don't know if I want to tour again because they built their Twitch up so well wow. that they're like, that's I'm amazing. Making, yeah. And they're like, I'm making more than I ever made on tour. And my stuff stays set up. I don't have to get into a van and sleep on my side all crooked and deal with all the stress that comes with touring. And uh, yeah, they're like, and I get on for three times a week, two hours at a time, and I'm making more than I was touring. So it's kind of interesting how this whole thing may be potentially, I mean, not maybe, it definitely is changing the face of our industry um, and some aspects of it. I, I personally don't think live music could ever be replaced. And I hope not. Yeah. I just, there's something I've tried the streaming thing and I'm, I'm going to try to get back into it, you know, but, um, there's just, there's something about the electrical current that's created between 
you know, the energy transfer between a performer and an audience. And that is, that's like our payback, you know, it's like that you get either, we get the energy started, put it out there and then it comes back to you. And you know, that, that vibe that comes around. And, and for me, just like the, the emoticons and emojis and amazing <laughs> rock on just growing up, and you're just like, Oh, this is just not it. But I, I'm not meaning to take it away from it. And I am, I, I am going to get into it. And people are like, you, you get used to it and you can figure out ways of, you know, that's why like a lot of guys learn how to talk over while they're playing their songs so that you can have a, it's just a different type of interaction. And I think that um, that's just something, you know, us, us old heads have to, uh, I guess, to kind of adapt to in, in that world because it is a, a cool, different way. And a lot of the audience really, I, I think, almost prefers it because they, you can't yell a question at a performer on stage and have them get on the mic and talk over their own song to answer you. And you can do that on Twitch. That is, that, that is like par for the course i so, guess you can do that during a live show you just might get spit on or something and i'm exactly. not sure depending yeah. on what show you're at but yes. yeah gotta yell That's something a, it's very it's very inter- interesting man and, and i think it it really does open up a lot of avenues for um musicians not only to get heard and to get seen but also to make some extra cash and obviously by the way you're talking maybe even <laughs> Way more cash. Yeah. I mean, those, it's six figures plus if you can become one of the big people, you know, and it's kind of multifaceted as well because you mm, can. I wonder if I started a YouTube page where I teach people how to tie shoes, shoelaces. We'll see how that <laughs> does. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know how many anyway. different methods there are, you know, but you could, you could, you know, try to. If I, if I wore a thong. Oh, if yeah. I wore th- yeah. <laughs> like you, like, uh, you know, flip flops are just thongs for your feet. Right. Well, yeah, there you go. If you think okay. about it. Yeah. I got to uh we'll have to create some laces for that, but we can <laughs> talk lacing. about that later. Yeah, Dude, that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> tell me uh tell me a little bit about your history. Um your journey of of from where you started to to where you are now and and you know how you started playing bass and what got you into the bass in yeah. the first place. Yeah. So, um came from my mom and dad originally. And um <clears throat> that worked out pretty well for a while. And, um, I, I was always into music. Um, I guess I was a really big Stevie Nicks fan when I was a, like a baby, like two, three years old to put on stand back and just like make my mom repeat, repeat it like a hundred times with headphones on way too loud. Um, but I always loved music. I always loved <laughs> singing. Um, and then, uh, got into get a uh, guitar at about, uh, probably somewhere around fifth grade or something like that. And my cousins were big, um, music fans of very eclectic tastes, very dynamic, diverse musical tastes. But, you know, metal was kind of a big thing back then. Chili Peppers and stuff too, Primus, you know, stuff on, the, you know, kind of all the little different versions. And that was when the whole Seattle thing was happening too. So Nirvana was just popping out and I was like eight years old or something like that. And Nirvana really flipped the whole industry on its head coming out of the whole, you know, the MTV, you know, Def Leppard, uh, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses kind of thing. And then Nirvana comes out and did this, you know, hey, here's four chords, you know, and flannels and baggy jeans and we don't give a shit, you know. But um, <laughs> so um, so I was kind of into that. And then um, there was a couple little things that made me be like, oh, I want to I play that. You know, I think it was like uh, Metallica 1, the intro riff, you know, I was like, I want to I make that. So I was a member just being in my car. My papa was driving my um, grandpa on my mom's side. 
and we were li- making him listen to it <laughs> because obviously he wouldn't have been into it. But, um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want to make that sound, you know? So I started on guitar, played that through, through uh, high school. My brother got the bass. Um, and so we would just jam and we never even knew what the hell we were doing. We never even played the same thing, but we were just like, it probably just sounded like Guitar Center for about <laughs> eight years. And then, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and then in high school uh, or middle school, end of middle school, high school, started, you know, meeting some other friends and um, playing. And then kind of uh, end of high school, um, I was teaching snowboarding up in Breckenridge. And my buddy and I that we had slowly learned uh, to, you know, taught each other how to get really good on the instruments. Um, well, not really good, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, he's like, I got uh, one of the alcoholic roommates got put in charge of rent up in our mountain house in Breckenridge. And so we, there was an eviction notice on the door and I was like, Oh, all right. And I was either couch surf or, you know, head back home. And my buddy's like, let's start a band. And so I was like, okay. So I moved back down to Denver and we started a band and I was playing guitar and we could never find a bass player. They just mm. didn't exist. You would put ads up and you could just never get anybody that was what we wanted, which we wanted somebody that was more like a Trujillo or, um, you know, maybe not Claypool good, but you know, something along those lines. We wanted somebody that had, you know, some real technical skills on the instrument and you couldn't find it. So, um, then we were listening to, uh, I was listening to this record called Mudvayne, uh, LD 50. Mm. And, um, that was the first time that I was like, I, I want to do that. And like, I'll switch because it was, the bass was the more like the lead melodic instrument in the, in the, in the pat- musical passages and the, the rhythm guitar had was really doing more what a traditional rock bass would do. And it just really kind of just the sonic character of the instrument that, that Ryan Martini brought forth, you know, I was just like really enamored with it and it was just really flattering to my ear. And so I was like, Oh, all right, cool. I'll, I'll play bass then. And, um, and then I just got on the bass and it was so much easier for me. I got so much better, so much faster, um, than guitar than 10 years of guitar, you know, with bass within six months. Did you take lessons? Uh, I took, uh, like two lessons and then I was just like, uh, I don't know. I just, I was so in love with the instrument that I just played all the time. And I think that just naturally when you do that, you're just going to, you know, progress at your own rate, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So then, um, from that, we started that two bass band. Um, and then, uh, from there I, I joined, uh, we started playing theaters around town and started selling out some theaters around town and, and, um, some people kind of caught notice. And then, um, I got asked to join, uh, Cephala carnage. And so that was like my, my first foray into the, into the touring world. And that kind of led me around and that led to meeting some friends that, uh, led to some session work that le- led me to John Rice from job for a cowboy. And then when their bass player walked off in the middle of a tour, it hit me up to do that. And then, uh, it kind of just, kept snowballing and I never, never really actually quit any band. So I'd always just, you know, get, get in a band and then one of the dudes would have a kid and they want to stop touring so much. And they cut down to like two months of touring a year and then I have to join the other band and then weevil both schedules. Then somebody in that band would have a kid. And then <laughs> just kind of this, this thing. So it's just like, man, cats are enough for me, you know? And yeah, so, I got uh, you. Yeah. And then, uh, so did Havoc, um, for about three or four years, which was really cool with my buddies. Uh, we're still really good friends. Um, and then that's kind of, uh, how I got to here so far. You know what I mean? Okay. How old are you, Nick? 39 in June. Should still you don't say, look, just, just say you don't look a day over 20. <laughs> it's the, it's the zoom filter I put on now. Uh, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> no, um, so 
let's see your first tour what was it your fun did you jump in a van or were you in a bus or what was your... oh yeah no it was van back then um okay 2006 i guess it was a, a mini tour it was like a tryout to uh a few shows in the midwest like fargo and minneapolis and in the middle of winter too like march or something like that and um super cold you know fun but it, the, the other guy that was trying out got to go to south by southwest and some really big cool um i think there was an la show too and uh so he got the better shows but i got the gig so that was cool ah, and then, nice <laughs> yeah and then uh, we did i did a um pretty much what i call like really my first tour was in in europe with um that was with a, in a bus with uh darkest hour in a band from chicago called dead to fall okay. and uh i still like that was my Still to this day, I'm like, if there's one tour I could go redo, I think it would be that one. Why? It was just the camaraderie was instantaneous. Like I've never really seen that happen before or, or uh, again, you know, since then. It was just like instantaneously 22 dudes just instantly in rapport with each other to the highest level, you know. Like That's the, the best, man. Yeah, it was crazy. So everybody loaded, everybody, you know, it was, we made it a, a party, you know, every single time. And then, uh, and I don't think there was one night that we didn't go till at least the sun was up partying. Oh. And sometimes it would be, <laughs> you know, that's not very healthy every single night. Oh, you can yeah. do it. But yeah. yeah, I mean that, that tour probably cost me six or seven years off the end of my life. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt. So you know? what did you, so what would you say from that very first, um, van thing that you did to your, your favorite tour, um, to now, what was the worst? Mm, I think the worst ones would be um, where you're questioning if that's what you want to do, you know, because it's like... Play? There, play? Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. There would be a couple times on um, some tours um, where you're playing some like, you know, and I don't want to discourage anybody that it's like, you know, when somebody hasn't even you know, gotten to that level yet, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I mean, it's, it's a privilege to even go do that stuff, um, that I was like, Oh, I'm kind of over this, you know? So I don't want to like, you know, poo poo it or whatever, but, um, just, well, every you know, situation is different and, right. and this is actually good for, you know, people that are, you know, maybe just started touring or trying to get into touring to hear, you know, right. they, it's not all roses all the time. Yeah. 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 Just like every profession. Yeah, you know? exactly. Sometimes, you yeah. know, and I don't want to like diss any specific venues either. So I'll try to not use their names, but when you're playing, <laughs> when you're playing stuff in like, you know, C market stuff and it's just, um, you know, the turnout's not the hottest. And even if it turnout's not is, is semi good and then there's like no energy, you know, people just aren't into it. Maybe they've had too many yeah. shows come through their town or something. And if you get a string of those together and there's like low financial um, support for the run and, and that kind of stuff. And then it's like you're cold and you're getting back into a van and then you're, you know, it's just there'd be a couple times where you're just like, oh, man, I'm still doing this, you know, and you're yeah. like, is this what I want to do with my life? And. You know, and then you're like, how did you cope with, for those moments? How do you get through? Um, I think a little bit of alone time on, on those type of things is to get away, um, is to get away from everybody else, you know, in your camp and that kind of stuff and get, um, I guess like walkabouts are probably one of the best things I, could, I ever, they were one of my favorite things, even on great tours, you know, um, especially getting to tour all around the world. Uh, so many people 
I found would just sit in the backstage, like be in the venue the whole time. And I'm like, you're in Paris. Like, what you, get out. The, what? You, you know, know what? Like, it's easy to do, though. I, 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 I am guilty of that myself. I've done it. I've done it. Especially if, like, yeah. you, if it's your fourth time in that city. Yes. And you're like, I've walked this place a lot and there's not really anything around here. Um, and I've got scrolling to do, damn it. I know. <laughs> gotta, gotta work that thumb muscle. But, you know, yeah. so I think that's kind of a thing is like you get into this place where um, you're in a very tight quarters with a lot of people. Um, and some of these same people, you're maybe six, seven years of like being in, you know, a, a car ride, you know, basically. And so um, sometimes you can find solace by taking that little bit of time for yourself going to a coffee shop and just reading, doing, putting some other type of input in. Um, and I think that changes the way that you are able to manage your relationships. Um, especially if sometimes, you know, it's people are being going through difficult phases, you know, which we all kind of do. I mean, everybody kind of gets in their moods on tour, you know, for the most part, I try not to be in bands with people that are, um, impossible to be but, in bands okay so that brings up a good point as well so for those people that may be a little more on the difficult side more often than not how do you personally deal with that and how do you how do you uh manage i think that uh there's a lot of really unique techniques um that i've sort of tried to develop i guess they're, they're probably sales techniques and hopefully that doesn't come off Machiavellian or whatever, but you know, rapport building stuff where, um, you know, it's important to like have those fun sessions with those type of people, you know? So where it's like when, if it's in a decision-making capability, which is usually where I think a lot of the conflict comes from, you know, is that you're, you guys are creating, you know, whether you're, it's about the creative aspect of, of the musical part where it's like, Hey, we're making this picture together. And, art is an expression of our individuality and our souls. And I think that it's, um, that can be really difficult is to be like, you're trying to figure out what you want to say and then collectively what the group wants to say. And so if certain people feel stronger about certain things, they may push harder for it and that can create conflict. Um, and then whether there's that side of it and then there's the business side of things, you know, when are we leaving the venue? Um, you know, mm. and then it's like, that's always a fun one. <laughs> and you can, you can get into these, you know, pretty heated arguments and both sides may have really valid points about, you know, why their side is right. So, um, I think that probably one of the best things that have, has taken me a long time to learn actually, uh, is to listen more to that person, you know, because I think the more that you listen to each other and really, truly openly listen and not because most of the times when we're in those type of situations where there's some, a little bit of heat or, um, or a little bit of like maybe some past resentments or something build up most of the times, um, you're not really listening to the other person. You're just sort of waiting for your turn to talk. And, you know, you're like, you'll, you'll listen to what they say and grab a couple little bullet points and like have your little argument, your counter argument in your head. And then you're waiting, waiting for them to finish speaking so that you can put in those counter arguments to stuff they brought up. Where I think that if you both, if everybody truly takes the time to listen to what the other person wants, uh, then you can find the common ground a lot easier. And that's a, um, a more efficient way, I think, of getting to a resolution that makes everybody happy. And, uh, I think that that's kind of one of the, 
the bigger problems is that we're not realizing that we have the same goals. Um, and the reason why is because we're not list openly listening without emotion and finding the, the root, which is, you know, for the most part, like, you know, love, right? Dude. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent <laughs> points. Um, and, and like you say, that does not just apply to being a musician or being on tour or being in the office selling insurance. This is life. It's right. every situation. Yeah. And that's just something I think in general, you know, that all human beings, we could all be better listeners. We, we absolutely can. And, and back to your point on, it's all about love, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about bases. Yeah. What are you let's, playing? Let's do it. Um, so I recently just got, um, uh, well, I'm borrowing here. I'll show you. I'm, I'm borrowing Vlad's bass. One sec. Okay. One sec. Good so, old Vlad. Yeah. So uh, this is the uh, Russian flag wow. MT MTD. So this uh, isn't video, so make sure you describe this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, this cool. Uh, so, it, oh, nice. Cool, good, good. Yeah. I could have just said it was my base then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's a, a five, it's a Michael Tobias design, um, a 534, uh, 17 millimeter spacing. And then um, I went with, um, you know, I, was, I, I came from Warwick. I still, still play my Warwick. That's obviously where we met. Yeah. And um, so I really fell in love with the you know super compressed super naturally compressed woods i mean that that, that the ryan martini ld50 album is is a, you know a thumb five string um neck through and that is uh bubinga body um and a wingy neck oh that one's actually a uh, yeah a wingy fingerboard and uh wingy bubinga neck um, you know, I think it's three Bubinga stringers up it. And so, um, can you say that five times as fast as you can? <laughs> and then, um, so, uh, on this particular MTD, I went with, uh, um, a, a Myrtle Burl top, um, which is really, really pretty that you can't see right now. Cause it's, you know, flatted out, but, um, yeah, that's kind of the thing. And so I went with bell brass frets as well. So because the naturally compressed Why? wood was part of, I believe that, that, that Ryan Martini tone, you know, that that's, it's, it's, and, and that's really just more like the Warwick tone for me, you know, in traditional, um, especially like the dolphin and, and the thumb, um, which were, um, it's got just so much natural compression in it that, and really mid range present, um, really growly type of a tone, punchy growly Definitely. type of a tone. How do you think that this compares to what you were playing? So that's um, part of the, you know, the inspiration for why I went with these woods is I was like, all right, I, I you know, I, it's like once you develop your sound, right. And I really kind of feel like I have a, a tone that I know that I want. And if my, you know, people that li like my bands or like my music, um, they expect that tone, you know, and I Definitely. think so. I was like, I've always loved the way MTD's played. Um, I think that that's one of the most, you know. It's like power steering, you know, like you get on it and just all the, you know what I mean? It's just like, you don't have to manual steer the thing, you know? And so with Warwick, I was, I was trying to get into, you know, so like, can you guys get some playing ramps going or can we, can we, you know, bring that fingerboard down into the body a little Excuse more? Me. So for all the double thumb stuff that it's way easier. And I remember actually when you came here and jammed, um, 
and you were like, I, I need that space under there. You're like, I want that space. Yeah. Um, so it's funny how that, um, that plays into each individual person's playing style. But so anyways, um, so I've always loved the way the MTDs played and I would always go over there and like be intimidated to go even, you know, try them out. Cause there's always just like 30 super shredder gospel dudes over there. Right. Like, I'm not getting on and playing. They're cool over dudes. there. No, they're hella yeah, cool. cool. They're yeah, just like, they're really, cool. really good. And so yeah. it's, it's intimidating um, to go over there and, you know, so for the, for the kind of music that you usually play that you're known for, um, Typically, the bass is kind of hidden, right? right. Mm-hmm. So, and it's buried under this sort of barrage of of fifty guitar tracks. Yeah. So, um, how are you cutting through? Aside from, well, let's go. Let's talk about both. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the te- techniques that you're using and your tone. Yeah. So, um, I think that that kind of plays into it. That, that basically, I think that the bass plays a, a really huge role, and I think that the the um, woods and the components of a bass play a bigger role than they do in guitar. Um, and so I, I roll with a really, you know, high compression. So I had this bass, basically I built it essentially off of the dolphin woods. So it's just like, uh, I think Michael and those not guys. Not real call, dolphin. No, not, not real, real dolphin wood. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> they genetically, <laughs> genetically engineered a dolphin inside of a tree. <laughs> And the meat is delicious. Uh, like, what is wrong like with jackfruit. us? Jackfruit. I know. Um, but it's, uh, so it's oven call. All, I just did all oven call body, all oven call neck, and the Bubinga stringers, um, streamers, stringers, I don't know what you call them. And then um, wingy fingerboard, bell brass frets. And I, um, I think that plays a big part into getting that punchy, growly type of a tone with really, really strong present mid-range. Um, the MTD is really cool because it's got that, but... Um, this top adds a little bit of bottom and highs that, um, on my, my dolphin that, um, I guess this is like a tiny bit more dynamic. Um, okay. maybe, maybe more than a tiny bit. Actually, I've got like a bigger range of sounds on this thing, which is cool because I don't just play, you know, punchy heavy metal. Um, right. I like, I like all styles of music, although, you know, primarily what pays the bills is, is the metal stuff. So that being said, like I, I usually do a, a, a pretty good mix if I can of, um, right hand technique. Um, you know, you know, I would say it's probably like 70% punchy finger style. Um, I'll like, you know, maybe suicidal tendencies, uh, infectious grooves, you know, just getting that, you know, solid, try to make it sound like a slap, you know, with yes, your fingers, sir. three fingers. Um, and then, um, I'll mix in slap, traditional kind of bounce off the string, Larry Graham style slap. Um, and then, you know, Wooten family, double thumb stuff, um, tapping chords, um, and, you know, maybe a little bit of clay pool, um, you know, kind of upstrokes where you're, um, he's got that really unique right hand technique where it looks like he's just kind of throwing his hand down the whole set. And then you can build into that, you know, the, the flick down with your fingers, the rake back up with the back of your thumb and then the pull with your fingers and then any combination of the three. So you can get, you know, triplets or, you know, uh, 16ths or, you know, quintuplets or whatever. And then mixing that in with some left hand leading and that kind of stuff. So I try to like mix in everything that I can, but have it fit the song. Hopefully, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to just cram every, (laughs) every technique I have into the song because I have to be the best guy or whatever. But, um, but I do enjoy trying to bring out the full dynamic range of the instrument 
as much as I can because it's it's such a cool sounding instrument and it's got such a big dynamic range. I mean, like the low B to you know pinch harmonics on a bass, I, f- I feel like we've got like a grand piano range of tone that you can express. And so in metal, so much, you know, so often I think, I don't know how that happened or whatever, but people would end up just kind of rocking the low E and, and, you know, maybe the bottom five frets of the, you know, the E and the A string and that's kind of home and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's got its place. That's cool. Um, not knocking that, but, um, I just, there's so much more to say with this stuff, you know, well, with, it's these, a, with these it's, instruments. It's a beautiful thing that it has evolved, um, so much even in the last 20 years, you know, there are no rules. Um, right. You know, there are fundamentals and there's the role of a bass player. But I say, um, hey, have fun, play, you know, get funky with it, get experiment. And, uh, I, you know, that's how you find your voice. That's how, how you find yourself in your playing. And that's how you find yourself. You know, what's really cool is um, I... I you're, you're a very inspirational person <clears throat> for a lot of different reasons. Um, and one of the main things that I love about, I think you were using a hashtag for a while, like just play, um, yes. or some, some, yeah. something to that effect. And, yeah. uh, I thought it was so cool that you're just always, always just put something up, you know? And I was reading this, uh, quote the other day about, um, it was from a guy named Neil Strauss, who's, a really great author. He's worked with like a bunch of like big, huge artists. Like he did Slash's book with him. And, um, but he's wrote a, a bunch of his own really cool books. And he was essentially talking about writer's block and how, um, it actually really doesn't exist that we can always just create something. You, you get on, you can just type and you can just write and we can just get on and, and just play and record. Um, so it's not writer's block as far as there's nothing stopping us from playing or doing it, but it's our perception of how it's going to be received by the listener or the reader. And that, that shouldn't matter, you know, that you just, just, just play. You know? Yeah. Like just dig in. I mean, that's it. the most, that's the simplest way to just say it because otherwise you're just, uh, you're, you're blocking any sort of creativity and and productivity that you have inside that is just begging to jump out because we all have it it's there right you know i mean i always talk about that like where do where do riffs come from you know i mean where do licks come from where do where do musical phrases come from you know are they are they literally just random musings of our brain or you know is it you know more along the lines i i believe that you know our brain is a receiver you know like our brain is like a, a a radio you know, an old school FM radio and it's about tuning in and the, the stuff, the music is out there. It's everywhere. You know, performance is everywhere. And, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the thing about it is that by allowing yourself to just create every single day, um, even if it's just a 30 second thing, a 15 second thing, uh, I believe that you start to you know, basically tune your radio station to be able to grab more frequent, you know, be able to every grab more information. Every single time you do it, every yeah. single time you do it. Yeah. And if you're playing every day, then you're interfacing, you know, your, your actual yes. dexterity is going to be better. And that's, that's a big part of it too, because it's sometimes you can, you know, come up with stuff out of the dexterity that like you're playing and then like, Oh, I'm adding a sixth here. And I forgot, Oh, my, my thumb is hitting down an extra time that I didn't know it was, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then build it up. It can happen that way too. But I think that 
the other way where if it's like, you know, something comes into your mind, um, you know, whether it's sometimes it can even happen from a dream or whatever, but the ability to be able to take what you hear and have it come out of the instrument um, is, I think it, it lends itself a lot better for you to have your dexterity levels built up, which is like calisthenics playing every day yes. being able to yes. interface with the instrument and build up your beats per minute and or slow them down and have your internal rhythm be good all those things it's like being prepared for when the idea comes that you can you can harness it and express it the way that you hear it inside your your head or your heart or whatever you want to call it you know your head heart. yes sir you got it <laughs> before we uh wrap up here I, I do have a few more things i want to talk about i want to finish talking a little bit about gear tell me about strings and amps and yeah. effects so, maybe that you're using sure yeah so um i'm using um i'm still rocking all my aguilar stuff um so i've got uh i got like three stacks now i've got so i've got a db 751 and a db 810 which is my still my go-to favorite favorite setup and then the lightweight stuff i've got um two ag 700s and two uh, SL 115s and two SL 410s. Then I have it set up in a cube, like a crisscross oh, cool. cube. So cool. it's like 15 on the bottom left, 15 on the top right, 410 on the top left, 410 on the bottom right. And um, and then I have all that set on top of the 810. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're running this all at once for yeah. every gig? Yeah. Every gig? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, not for gigs. <laughs> this is just oh. the last year. <laughs> I can get, I've, I was able to let the guys bring, you know, I think it's tough to to sell the, the the a bass rig on both sides of the stage thing to most bands, you know. Yeah. But you're like, you know, you gotta. Do I it. I personally love it, but yeah, you got you gotta do it, man. Because otherwise, it's that thing. Remember, you go see your favorite bass player, and then if it's too crowded in front, of, you can't get in front of them, and then you're not in front of their amp, and then it's like. Ah, you, yeah. you want that extra little bit, you know, like yeah. the, the other side of the stage needs bass too. We need equal bass for everybody. You know what? I'm so, we got to start a petition. <laughs> Every stage Dude. must have amps on both minimum, sides. Minimum two, man. This is All the, right. The, the All two, you bass players out there, make sure you sign this thing. Two cab resolution. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> what about strings, dude? Yeah. So Dunlop, um, I've been doing, Woo! I love the, my favorite strings, the Marcus Miller. Um, I just feel like, I mean, he was one of my, you know, it was like, you know, Wooten and, and Miller were the, the two, you know, sickest dudes in my mind, as far as bass is concerned. And, um, so I, I feel like they did a really good job of, they sound like him, you know, it's weird. Cause you're like, it's just a string, but it's when you put them on, it's just got a little something that reminds me of, of, of Marcus's tone. Um, zing. it's got a zing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the, this sort of like a, maybe like a low mid punch, you know, which just ties right into the, you know, the, um, the tone that I'm already kind of going for. Um, so, but those are, those work really well for me for, um, my, my lower tuning. So I'll go, like with uh, a lot of my stuff, I'm ADGCF, um, and they work really, really well for that because the tension drops a bit. And I like a little lower tension um, on the string. I like a little more. Yeah, pli you play. You, you play with the action quite low, right? Yeah, as uh -huh, well. Yeah, as well. Yeah, the yeah. Low, yeah, yeah. Not too low. I found I found that I can go too low, and I'm like, ah, oh, then you don't get any. You know, you don't get yeah. enough bite out of it but um but so that or i'll rock the super bright stainless and when i do the super bright stainless that's for my my b standard stuff because then i'll go um uh i'll get the extra light set so i'll go like 40 i try to go like i think it's like 40 60 80 
100, 120. I like one, 120 for a B. I feel like it just sounds more like, you know how like on some basses the B just comes off like it sounds like it's on a different bass or something. Sounds like it's on a different instrument. It's like, you know, G, D, A, E, bah, you know, <laughs> and you're like, dude, that's You know not- what? I, I actually always wondered why. Yeah. So why do you think that is? I think it's got to do with the tension. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm really excited because I'm, I'm, I'm finally getting a 32 inch scale, um, MTD. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Which I'm really stoked on. Well, um, Juan Alderete had, uh, been praising it for a while. Um, when he was going around, uh, playing with, uh, um, when he was out with his last band and, um, he was just like, I love him. I want to get him on here. You dude. should. I think he's, yeah. I think he's rocking, is man. He doing, I think he's is he doing better. Dude. Yeah. I just sent him a, uh, a message a little bit earlier. Cool. He's posting his cats again. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he, I saw him out hanging with people and I was like, yes, because that's got to be one of the best comeback stories of the history of all time. Oh, yeah. I mean, a diffuse axonal injury, the, that type of traumatic brain injury is th- the odds to wake up are extremely low. You know, like it's it's hardcore to to even, you know, get up from that type of a thing and to have him coming back and he's playing, like strong I think he's, dude he's yeah. got a great support system as well yeah at well, home so yeah. that's awesome he's the right he's the right guy to to come back and and you know he deserves it he's one of the best one of the best humans i've ever met man just a really oh, yeah. really cool dude so um he was always talking about the 32 inch and he's like it changes the fundamentals a bit he's like but what it does is it allows you to have a bigger string at a lower tension you know so like when you drop a couple inches off the scale length, the tail, the tension drops quite a bit. So your regular gauge strings would be too floppy. So you can bump up in your gauge of strings and still have the pliability. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, because I used to do, I had a, a six string warrior, um, was my first custom base and, uh, I went F sharp on it. So it was F sharp B E A D G. And that F sharp thing just never, I mean, it was, it was like 50% worse of a bomb than the B was. And so um, I was kind of given up on it. And then there's a company called Serene Bases. I don't know if you ever heard of that company. I haven't. Uh, no. um, cool stuff. And they were doing a, a, a sub contra base, which was C sharp, F sharp, B, E on a four string. Mm. The C sharp was 205 gauge. Um, <laughs> it's like a wow. phone case. Wow. It's like a, the, wow. it's like a f- power cable or something. Yeah. But I swear to God, I got on that thing and it, Played the tension and the overtones. It was, it played great and it sounded great. It didn't have that bond thing. And I was like, how are they doing this? And the guys like the strings are super super important, and the scaling super important. And so I think that that's kind of part of it. So for me, um, going with a, a a slightly lighter gauge seems counterintuitive for low tunings. You know, I mean, all everybody would always be like, oh, you're going drop tuning. You need a bigger gauge um, so that it doesn't you know flub out. But yeah. for me. I found that like you just got to keep the strings new, you know. <laughs> just just got to buy some <laughs> buy new strings every week. Simply you know? put, um, yeah, exactly. Because you know, a brand new one twenty gauge B string for me has more of those traditional overtones, and um, it sounds more like the E and the A, you know, like the timbre and the the liveliness of the string. It has less bont to it than the bigger strings do for me, um, or than the bigger gauges do. That's what I've just kind of found, and it's, you know, I could be completely wrong, you know, but it's my, what my ear hears is, you know, like I've, I, I want all the strings to sound like Consistent. They're on the same base, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, that these these particular Dunlops have done a really, really good job 
of that for me. Um, you know, the Marcus Millers for my drop tuning and then the super bright stainless. I like the nickel too. The nickel are cool and they feel great. Um, but I just, I'm going for that, you know, that piano, like that the stainless is just, even though it's a little harsher and maybe it's a little harsher on the frets and stuff. I just, I love the, I love the, the, the Dunlop stainless. Right on. Yeah. How about you? What do you rock? You're nickel, are you a nickel guy? No, no, no. Super brights. Yeah. I, I've been, yeah. I, I, I just love them on my bases and yeah. uh, I haven't really changed much because I haven't felt the need to. So yeah. um, if it, I dig them. Yeah. If something works and that there's a consistency thing there too. Yeah. Like, you know, like there, I've never had an issue with them. So yeah. To um, bring, to bring out like, um, like we were talking about, like being comfortable and having your dexterity and having everything ready so that when the idea comes, you know, uh, you're very, very comfortable in being able to expert to get it out on the instrument. And I think like that's, that's a thing, like playing the same bass with the same gauge strings so that it's the feel becomes super, super consistent. And when you, yeah. when you find also, what works, it, you know, those particular strings for me, um, just doing a bunch of different styles of music and different tones and different um, s uh, techniques, it, it works for them all. So I, I'm not going to change them up. I just, I dig them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a cool thing. You're being a right hand guy. You yeah. know, there's so much expressive range in there that, you know, you can get, even with a stainless string, you know, you can throw the palm mute down and, and do the, you know, the sort of dub, you know, mutey thing if you want that yeah. kind of tone. Or I wanted to try one of those. You ever tried one of those, like either putting the foam in there or the Nordstrand's got the really I have. nice yeah. mute, mute or whatever it is? It's cool. You know what? Uh, I found that um, it, it inspires different ideas and mm -hmm. different, um, you know, different things that you can do. For me, it's, you know, creating different lines and creating parts, but um, I can kind of do the same thing using my palm so. yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah I <laughs> that's I, the way i learned how to do it you know what i mean i was like oh what's that sound and then i just figured that i can do it with my hand and yeah. then i tried one of those and I, oh this is kind of cool too so but you, you could know, play because like you could do you know if you're on the bottom part right of the string oh, that's not coming through but um but you can do you know really fast full lines right that you would normally unless i mean if you found a way to do it i would love to see that where you're going super fast dual finger I, style up on the on the D and the G? Uh, I, you know I can kind of use the end of the, my pinky a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and that's the way I've, Oh um, wow. I guess yeah. I'm probably, yeah, I'm kind of faking it a little bit, but, okay. um, it, it seems to work for me. And that's really dude, just due to the fact of not having any sort of foam or anything like that. I'm like, Oh, I want to, I kind of want to get that sound. So I've just, sure. like we were talking about earlier, just experimenting with, trying to figure it out with what you have yeah yeah so. exactly you've been you've been rocking some really cool you always get these really cool um what's that i grid 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 play or something that you use yeah yeah the video the yeah app. the video thing where you layer these really cool make these like just daily rad little composures of of, of bass that are kind of all built off bass and um you have some really cool effects going on and i was going to ask what pedals you dig because you've always got some really funky Ooh. sweet tones going I on. Like, I was like, what are you uh, using? Well, I use all the uh, MXR stuff and, yep. and the Dunlop stuff. So the filter. The, okay. Uh, I be, I love that one. And then the sub-octave fuzz. Got that. Ooh. Yeah. That yes. thing's super tight. The, I love you, rattling these walls. Yeah. Have you used the, uh, <laughs> the sub machine? No. 
submachine's really cool. The purple it? one. It's similar it? to the sub uh the sub octave bass fuzz, but it's yeah. um it's uh it's it's when you click all three of the things on like the octave, the fuzz and the um I forget what the other little part is, but it's gnarly, brutal, sweet tone. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah just, that stuff's cool. Yeah, they also have um I use their bass comp too, the the white Oh, I, I use that once in a while too. Um for recording here at the house. I don't have it in my live rig. Really? You don't you don't compress? Well, they do it out front. He's he wants to do that out front, so I'm been and uh. and I found for me uh live that I have to be a little bit more careful with my touch. So, not using that, you know what I mean? It's not even out through the rig. Right. So, yeah. But yeah, he's uh I- he's compressing it out front, so I've thought about that a few times because I've had him be like, you know, can you send me an un- uncompressed? So I was, um, I was running like, I think I was doing, I was running into my DI, like my DI first. So I was running like a, um, like my dark glass stuff or something. And then I was running, giving the DI to the front of house from there first and then running my compressor afterwards so that my base rig still had compression, but front of house was not getting in that. Got it. Um, which was kind of a cool way to do it. Cause I still, I don't know. I feel like, Compression just fixes. Oh, it does. My, some For of my sure. Play, yeah. You know, especially like mixing all the different, you know, big, huge chord things to like soft little stuff. It you know, kind yeah, of brings it's all like stuff. the icing on the cake. It's like, oh, ah, <sighs> uh, yeah, <laughs> dude. So, all right, ready for this or that? This we're just gonna do some rapid fire things real quick. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, here we go. Text or call? Call, please. Oh, that's that's not very common these days. Okay. Oh, dude, come on, man. Active or passive? Passive for recording. Active if I need it live. But if I had to say overall, I would say passive. Okay. Fuzz or overdrive? Mm. I'm going to go overdrive. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would use, but you know, both. I would say context, but if I had to pick, I would do overdrive. Got you. But if I mean, if it was, you, you can take it back it, later. If it's funk, for, then fuzz. Right. If it's funk, yeah. then fuzz. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Beach hut or a cabin? Man, half and half. That's all these are. You need one with it. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, sunlight or darkness, and you're like, man, you need both. Well, you know? What do you prefer right at this second? Uh, beach, beach for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm like at the end of the cabin part. I'm getting, getting to that beach, man. All let's right. go. Let's go. All right, honesty or other people's feelings. I wish I was more on the side of being bluntly, being blunt, bluntly honest. Because I feel like that saves, long term, saves the other person's feelings. But I like I traditionally go other people's feelings, um, and uh, because I think in the short term that's, you know, kind of part of the world that we've gotten into is uh, that we want to, we don't ever want to uh, make anybody feel bad, you know. So we want to in the moment to feel good, you know. But then long term, it's like giving a sales guy a yes 
when you know you're just going to back out of it. You really didn't want to buy whatever it was, but the only the, the polite way to get out of the situation is be like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, okay, we'll call you back instead of just be like, <laughs> no, no thanks, man. You know, I appreciate it, but no thanks. It's I think long term it's better to just you know come out with the blunt straightness. You know. Well, I think you can be kind and honest at the same time. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Coffee yeah. or tea? Coffee. Yes, and sir. Th- unless I'm in, <laughs> unless I'm in the UK. All right, and then coffee. Tiger King, <laughs> Tiger King, or the Lion King. <sighs> oh man, I'm gonna go. We go Lion King. Get that happy mm. ending. Yeah, you know. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Jameson or Jocko? Um, Jameson. Okay. Yeah. Beatles or Stones? Stones. All right. Love or money? Love. Thank you, dude. <laughs> hey, tell everybody uh, where they can find you, your social media, your music, yeah. your videos, especially. Cool, for sure. So uh, I think I have everything switched over now, too, to just Nick Shins. So N-I-C-K-S-H-I-N-Z. Um, and that's uh, Instagram, um, Twitter, YouTube, um dot gov or dot org slash fel point niner two five <laughs> seven dash niner <laughs> did i hear a niner in there you got a walkie talkie <laughs> yeah that should be all my stuff oh my facebook is just um nick Shangelis, my full last name s-c-h-e-n-d-z-i-e-l-o-s Back say that one up. more time say it <laughs> s-c-h-e-n-d L-O-S. And you say it like shin and jealous. Like you're jealous, jealous. of my shins because they're nice. Shin jealous. Didn't play soccer, so they're not all scarred up, you know? Awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, Thank this was awesome. Again. Thank you. Thank Daryl. And uh, this was all, this was dope, man. Uh, I love hanging. Looking forward to doing it again. Everybody, that is our show for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Stay healthy and kind, spread love, good vibes and inspiration. And remember you got this, follow your path and just play, find your voice. I'm Josh Paul. I hope to see you out there sometime soon. Thank you to Dunlop for making the show possible. And also be sure to check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk soon until next time. Cheers. <laughs>